2: plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans plan features and taxes and fees may vary happy Monday here on WGR Great weather outside. It's not 80s, good 70s. The Bills are back. St. John Fisher, now University, for training camp. Day two, finished up today. Practice at 945 earlier this morning. Back at 945 tomorrow morning as well. We're going to talk, of course, about Bills training camp. Who's been turning heads so far through the first two days? There's not a ton that you can do to turn heads except for looking, you know, like an NFL football player just in, you know, shorts and essentially a t-shirt. But you can turn heads. You can clearly show you belong in the NFL. You belong on the current football team. And in 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 the Bills case, belonging on the field and belonging with that team is huge because it is one of the Super Bowl favorites. And it's a loaded roster. It is a roster that is going to be tough for anyone to make. So the fact that there are two guys specifically who are really turning heads at training camp shows a lot. That that they, number one, Brandon Bean and his staff can draft well. Number two, that this team is going to continue to try to load up even into the years now where Josh Allen's contract will start kicking into the cap. But before we continue on, just want to remind you that coverage of Bill's training camp on WGR is brought to you by Figo Car and Joyce, your border attorneys, by New York's only outlet liquor when you need to stock up. It is the best place to buy a case. What's your outlet? And by Northtown Kia, the number one certified pre-owned Kia dealer in the eastern region. Shop NorthtownKia.com. The two names I want to talk about, and we're also going to jump into, it's going to be very, very football-heavy hour for the next hour, because I also want to talk about, the Kyler Murray contract stipulation that came out uh during show of Bulldog today that was just in 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 a singular word mind blowing. And then we also want to talk a little bit about Lamar Jackson and some of the comments that a current anonymous NFL defensive coordinator said and how I just I hate I hate the old heads and the revolving door of coaches that has stuck in the NFL at a certain point. I don't care that you've been in the NFL for 30, 40 years. If you're not good, you're not good. And a number of players have come out over the past few years basically saying that NFL coaches, a lot of them, can be bad. Not all of them, but a surprising number. But I do want to start on a positive note, talking about Bill's training camp. And the two players that are really turning heads so far are James Cook and Khalil Shakir. I'm not surprised by that like straight off the bat my first initial reactions when I wake up in the morning and I'm and I'm seeing all these reports coming from camp of you know who's who's doing really well who's making eye popping plays you know who clearly belongs and I keep just seeing you know James Cook and Khalil Shakir I'm not surprised and I said this on the show last week of camp battles I was, I was excited to see now so far through camp in the running back department De- uh, Devin Singletary has taken I, I want to say either, either the bulk or all of the first-team running back reps. But what is James Cookman doing? Lining up at receiver, being with the twos with Zach Moss. And he looks phenomenal. He looks so smooth. There's a pop to him. And that's something I was saying last week that I thought would really grab the Bills' coaching staff, grab their attention. And it, and it clearly did on film or if they ever saw him at Georgia. Now, the thing you came into this with was knowing... James Cook has never been the bell cow back. He was in a loaded backfield at Georgia. And number two, he's not really the most refined back in the world. He is It's not really him. He's much more of a receiving threat. And number three, he, he does have a little bit of a difficulty with injuries, at least in college. But, for one, with the injuries, the Bills have been spectacular at dealing with those, at really making sure those don't happen. There are the freak injuries. There are the ones you could put as much sports science information and data into it as you want. It doesn't matter. Stuff just happens, right? Number two, with the, you know, bell cow running back, that's fine. The Bills really don't want to do that. That's not really their style of running. I think they really found their style of running at the end of last year. Where you kind of would pitch out, and you needed the the specific line that they wanted to really run that. I think once they got Ryan Bates solidified into one of those two guard spots, you could tell the running game really opened up. They're they're not a bruising run blocking team. It's never been their their forte, at least on the offensive line. And to be fair, it really shouldn't be. Josh Allen is the main core of this offense. If he can't throw, the offense can't go. And we saw that with Jacksonville when Jacksonville's Josh Allen was bull rushing against a very depleted offensive line. I think that game Spencer Brown was playing left tackle and he essentially should never play over there. He's a right tackle and only on the right. Cody Ford was in the game at guard. He was not very good. And speaking of Cody Ford, Questenberry for the Bills as well has been a big star, at least so far, just in terms of him actually just playing. So far, Cody Ford has not really been able to get on the roster with the starters outside of just guys being injured. We're still having a few guys that are kind of coming back. They're working their way back in. But so far, they've had David Questenberry making a pretty good run at it, especially with Roger Saffold, who was in a car accident before training camp began. Don't really know the severity of what that car accident was, but we do know he has broken ribs, so he's kind of recovering from that. But, of course, you have Mitch Morris out there, Deion Dawkins out there, Spencer Brown, though, is coming. He's also coming back from a bit of an injury. But so they're, they're working it around. They're moving it around. But it does seem clear that Questenberry has been doing very good. They did bring him over for the run game. Him and Roger Saffold were signed as free agents after being in Tennessee, where they helped lead a 2,000 yard rusher in Derrick Henry. If you have a 2,000 yard rusher, you'd likely have a pretty darn good offensive line. And Questenberry and Saffold were big parts in that. But James Cook, or or being a star in terms of his route running and his catching ability and the fact that there there is that pop to him is not surprising to me in the slightest. That's what they drafted him for. Yes, they traded back twice in the second round, but to be fair, I think he's a better pickup than JD McKissick because McKissick, as good of a essentially wide receiver in the backfield as he is, he does not have the pop speed that... James Cook does. Cook ran a 441 at the combine, has always looked fast. His brother Dalvin Cook is fast. Stephon Diggs was asked if there was any, you know, similarities between the two. He obviously played in Minnesota with Dalvin Cook, and he said there was. I think a little bit of that is more, you know, talking up, you know, the the new rookie, you know, doesn't want to say, yeah, there's no similarities at all. I know Dalvin Cook's an all pro running back. There's not a single similarity. That's a not great way to sell, you know, your new teammate, especially when asked about it. But there are definitely some similarities between them. They they have a very similar physical physique. But I do think Cook is a better receiver than his brother Dalvin. But James is not necessarily the runner that his brother is. He's not necessarily the, the natural running back that Dalvin Cook is. Speaking of natural, Khalil Shakir. It's been very interesting the, the the first two days hearing where like people are, are lining up and what's going on. And essentially, there's only been three wide receivers that have not taken you know snaps in, in, with the special teams. And that has been Gabriel Davis, Stephon Diggs, and Isaiah McKenzie. And that kind of tells you that Isaiah McKenzie may legitimately be this team's starting slot receiver, which is something that I think a lot of people really did think when they signed Jamison Crowder, he would just be the natural Cole Beasley replacement. He would be the guy that would come in, the natural slot receiver. That, I mean, he—that that is his position. And he would just fill it right in. A bit younger than when we first got Cole Beasley on the Bills. He's got a little bit more of speed to him. But almost as sure of a slot receiver as you can get. And yet, I think at the end of the season last year, Isaiah McKenzie fought to get on that offense all year last year. He fought to even just you know be dressed for games. But when he but when he was asked to overperform his role, he did. He did in spades. Again, that New England game is almost gonna. It's gonna you know live with me forever just because I am such a huge fan of Isaiah McKenzie. I love the character and the personality that he is. I think he's a, he, he seems like a great human being, a ton of fun. So to see that happen was amazing. That he goes off for double digit catches, over a hundred yards, and a touchdown, and he, you know, nearly single handedly was giving the Patriots defense fits. I mean, he was spectacular that game. But to hear that he's not working out the special teams at all, or at least, you know, in, in, in terms of blocking and coverage drills, was a bit surprising. I really thought that the slot receiver position was going to be far more competitive right off the bat, just because you know Mackenzie then signed for you know, a huge extension. They didn't with Crowder either, but then, you know, also Khalil Shakir's a fifth-round pick, and they kind of brought in Tavon Austin sort of as a, now we'll see what happens, so a little bit of a flyer. But to be fair, I never really saw Khalil Shakir's ultimate end goal as just a slot receiver on this team. I never have. Khalil Shakir they got as a slot receiver just because, I mean, that's where he played at Boise. But a lot of the film you see with Boise, it seems like they just wanted to get their best playmaker, the ball, the easiest way they could, which was... All of his routes are within 5 yards of the line of scrimmage, 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, and just get the ball out quickly to Shakir. And now, you know, you're in a camp, and he's just, everything looks effortless for him. You know, catches, he has soft hands. And he's making these easy catch or these hard catches make, you know, they make them look easy. That's not surprising to me. He's a very, very good route runner. He's an overall very, very good receiver that's going to come into the team and do his job exceptionally well especially in the fifth round, which was great value for the Bills to get. Most draft experts had him as a third, maybe fourth-round wide receiver. But in terms of just the loaded talent that position has now become in college and now leading into the NFL, the Bills get essentially a third-round wide receiver by most metrics. He falls him in the fifth round. And now, especially with a Bills team that, you know, Isaiah McKenzie as well, you know, as much as I was talking about him too, The Bills could also see him potentially as the third outside wide receiver and not even necessarily the slot receiver. I have no idea. We have no idea how they're really lining up with everything and and all that stuff because, you know, the Bills are very, very secretive on that stuff. But I always thought that position was probably that Shakir could really fight for that. He could fight for essentially what Gabe Davis's role has been the last two years. Gabe Davis, his first year had to deal with John Brown. His second year had to deal with Emmanuel Sanders, and then he got this. and Now going into his third season, he's the clear cut number two next to Stephon Diggs on the outside. I always thought Khalil Shakir would be that guy that you know to start out his you know this season he would be a slot guy helping out on special teams. I really, really think he could compete for that punt, turn, and kick return spot because he's just, he's. Everything I've heard out of Boise State was he was essentially, what for the Bills, Micah Hyde with more actual returnability rather than just the hands team. I think that could be really interesting. But I will say, if Isaiah McKenzie can secure that third outside wide receiver spot, I think that opens up a ton of possibilities of even what he can do on this team. Because Isaiah McKenzie's best routes... Are the crosser routes? We saw a ton of them against New England, but I mean, that's you know kind of his bread and butter—just cutting across the middle of the field and using his natural speed to just get by people to really frustrate a defense. The Bills were exceptional with crossing routes in 2020. That was the few times you ever saw Cole Beasley really break out 20 yards downfield, and Josh Allen was great at them. That's where you got the whole like you know 25 plus yard passes. Allen was elite in 2020 with that category. He also was in 2021, but just that stat really popped out because in 2019, he was not really a good deep passer at all. So Isaiah McKenzie potentially taking over that third outside wide receiver spot could be fascinating for what this offense could do. Could be incredibly fascinating. Because of course, I've said it a number of times, I've even brought it up, you know, on writing for the website, I really do think Gabe Davis is going to pop this year. And I do wonder if, you know, depending on, on, on what we're hearing in camp, if he continues to make plays like he has been already at practice. You know, I mean, again, nope ads, not really a ton of defense. It's more one-on-one stuff. But he is making some, you know, big plays, clearly showing that, well, I'm going to be a part of this offense. I'm going to be a major part. There's no more him necessarily fighting for his role every single game. He is now clearly a mainstay on the offense. I think far more than guys like Dawson Knox at tight end where, you know, Knox, you don't really know what you're going to get week to week. He had nine touchdowns, yes, but he had 41 catches. It's one of those where you never really knew what Knox you were getting. One week, he could have five, six catches, two touchdowns, and you're like, well, I'm, Knox is a top 10 tight end in the league. But then the Bills would go away from him. Not necessarily because Knox wasn't getting open, but how, how often was he running routes? How often were they actually trying to get him involved in the passing game? With Davis, we're not really gonna have to worry about that anymore. And I and I do want to kind of look at, you know, Emmanuel Sanders' early successes with the Bills when the year started. Emmanuel Sanders was catching touchdowns like he was taking candy from a baby. It was it looked effortless. And yet he ends with four touchdowns. He ends the year with 42 catches, only 72 targets, and it really felt like you know three of those four came very early in the season. Washington, I think he had two; he had one against Kansas City, and I think he had one against Pittsburgh. And then it's just it all fell off a cliff. But it's because you know Davis had started to kind of grab his role again, grab the role that he believed was his, and I, truthfully, he turned out to be right. And also, it's something I've been talking about too for a few months now, especially going back in the draft. The Bills, once Sanders was not getting re-signed and they weren't really taking a look seriously into the what turned out to be very, very expensive outside wide receiver market, especially, I mean, especially when you look at Christian Kirk for the Jacksonville Jaguars, you had to wonder, like, how are they going to do this? Was this going to be something where they ran three, four slot guys and two outside guys? I can't imagine that. Just because if a Stephon Diggs or Gabe Davis goes down, even for one or two games, what's their plan there? What's going to happen? You can't run all slot guys. Someone has to stretch the field. Someone has to make the defense honest. Someone has to actually push the safeties and the linebackers back a bit. But so, hearing that Khalil Shakir looks like a natural and that he's making good catches, he's clearly not... Someone that doesn't belong. Because both days he has been somebody that most Bills beat reporters have been saying has stood out. I think his role can be far more expanded than it should for a fifth round pick. Just because as much as I do like this Bills group. They're making Isaiah McKenzie potentially into what most of us thought was just a clear cut slot receiver with more speed. Into maybe an outside guy. And that maybe the reason they brought in Crowder is because they do need just... Okay, Crowder, you're a surefire thing at slot. We're, we got to figure out where our third guy is going to be. Or maybe, now, I just brought him up at tight end, Dawson Knox. Does Dawson Knox all of a sudden become kind of a receiver for this team? That would be interesting. Knox brought up today, he wants to stay in Buffalo. He recently bought a house. First and foremost, that is where he, he wants to be here. But Mike Gusecki tight end out of Miami, who will not play on, or, or who is going to now be forced to play on the franchise tag. His issues with Miami right now is because a lot of his snaps came into, you know, in the wide receiver realm, not tight end. So for him, he's thinking, I'm not a tight end. And he's and he's correct. If Mike Kisecki, if most of his snaps are coming, you know, in the wide receiver spot, why should he be paid like a tight end? And that's where I wonder the Bills, who are very analytical, they're always thinking about stuff like that. Maybe a little nervous in the idea of lining Dawson Knox up there. Coming into the season with that in mind, because it could turn into something of, well, now we can't bring back one of our best big-time playmakers. Knox, again, is not going to be somebody that routinely will get five or six catches. Certainly won't get nine, ten targets a game. But on any given Sunday, he's somebody that can go off for two, three touchdowns. Two massive plays. You don't always get that out of Gabe Davis. Now, Gabe Davis has the you know best game of any Bills receiver I've ever seen over 200 yards and four touchdowns. But I don't even think that is that that should never be considered the norm for Gabe Davis. I think the norm in terms of a season could be over a thousand yards, eighty something catches. Because I don't know if I'll ever see Gabe Davis in the same light as Stephon Diggs, who you know can get nine, ten receptions a game. But it's because they're a different style of player. Gabe Davis, I see, is somebody that can get five catches a game, but one of them is for 35, 40 yards on a deep bomb down the sideline. But so Khalil Shakir looking impressive in the early stages of camp does show signs of what's of what potentially could start happening. Shakir, number one, will not just be a slot receiver in the NFL. I just I would be stunned if that became a thing. But some... I've seen some people kind of bring out the comparison of maybe a Cooper Cup. Cup initially came into the NFL as just somebody that would just be a tall slot. He's about 6'2 when he came out of Eastern Washington. But as he kind of you know developed in Sean McVay's system, obviously now we're seeing the Cooper Cup that he is, which is the triple crown winner for receivers, yards, catches, and touchdowns. And yes, does he do a good bit of his work from the slot? Yes. But he does a lot of his work from the outside. They still send him deep. He's still good enough to do kind of everything a receiver does. Everything you, you would consider an A receiver can do. But he's just the best in the slot. I think Shakir can be something, a, a diet version of Cooper Cup. I never want to say someone can become that. I mean, that's ridiculous. But he can become sort of like a diet version of that where he can do everything else. But where he's best is the slot. Stephon Diggs is this, too. Stephon Diggs is best as an outside receiver going deep. Diggs is one of the best deep ball receivers in football. I think really only, like, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson truly beat him in those categories. But, you know, push came to shove. You can move him inside. You can get him to just run five, ten-yard routes. And he can make that work. Speaking of Stefan Diggs, another rookie that I do want to talk about real quick because I had mentioned this last week of something I want people to be a bit patient with is Kyir Elam. Kyir Elam is not necessarily making you know the rounds as someone that's really been a standout, and the defense as a whole has really been the main standout so far in you know two days. But to be fair, we've heard that saying for years that you know at the start of camp, defense will always be sort of the the ones ahead, the offense has to get more into a rhythm and they, they got to get timing right. And defense really is a lot about, you know, being in, in the correct positions. And if you study film, you can do that. But Kyrie Elam has, from what I've seen, at least I haven't been able to be down at camp either the first two days, but at least from what I've heard and what I've seen is that Kyrie Elam has essentially been placed on one one-on-one duties with Stefan Diggs, with obviously Travis white being on the pop list. Now that, you know, that situation seems to be getting a little bit better. I, I think there's clearly some videos that are out there on Twitter that are showing that he's coming along. It's getting much, much better for Tredavious White. He's cl- he's not walking around in a boot. He's not limping. I mean, he was doing, I think, you know, jumping lunges today after practice. and He was landing on that leg. You know, he had to take a little more time to slow down, but it wasn't anything, you know, to worry about. It was actually quite the opposite of something to be excited about. But Elam has been getting picked on by Diggs a bit, and Diggs has been owning that matchup. And it's one of those that you hear your first round pick is getting owned by one of your receivers, and it's always that sort of double edged sword of, ooh, I'm excited because my, you know, my, you know, my top receiver on my favorite team is, is killing it out in practice right away. Looks in mid season form. As Sal Capaccio said today early on the Show Bulldog Show that you know Stephon Diggs looks like he's in mid season form. He looks amazing. But then there is that double edged sword of, ooh, but my first round pick at cornerback is getting cooked. He's getting smoked right now by but the preface is here is one of the best receivers in football. Elam is a rookie. Diggs is a five-plus-year pro who has been to an all-pro team. He's been to two Pro Bowls. He is one of the best receivers, and he's certainly one of, if not the best, route runner in football. I like that Kyrie Elam is essentially just being, from day one of, of his first camp, go cover Stephon Diggs. That's your guy. I love that they're having them do that. Is there going to be a little bit of a point where Kyrie Ulum hates it? Probably. There's probably going to be a lot of frustration there. But good. He should. Because his first game of his NFL career will likely be without Tredavious White next to him. And he's going to have to deal with Allen Robinson and the previously mentioned Cooper Cup. He's going to have his hand, hands full the first game of his NFL career. So in a sense, he is getting a bit of a trial by fire. You're going to go up against Diggs on these one and one drills before pads get put on. Do your best. Try to figure it out. See what he does to make it work, because there are very few receivers you can study more in the NFL than Stefan Diggs to learn more, and he's on your own team, and you get to practice with him every single day. We already know from two previous camps that Stefan Diggs loved his battles with Tredavious White. Loves them. And Tredavious White loves them as well, because it's it's a sort of, you know, Iron sharpens iron sort of deal. They're both getting better. But I did see the reports that Kyrie Elam was getting. He, he, he was clearly getting the business end of it. He was not having a good time. But I don't bat an eye at it. It's fine. It's day two. It's all right. He clearly looks like he belongs. And to be fair, there was a picture out there with, with Elam hanging out with the entire secondary. And you realized, man, There's probably not a better group in the NFL that Elam, a first-round talent, could be learning from than an all-pro corner in Tredavious White, two Pro Bowl and all-pro safeties in Mike Hyde and Jordan Poyer, and a really just solid secondary guy in Dane Jackson who had to work and grind his way to where he is now, which he's going to be competing. He is going to be competing hard because there are moments in Dane Jackson's career, you know, 7th-round pick, That he was thrown to the Wolves. I look at the Arizona Cardinals game where he had to cover DeAndre Hopkins. And he did well. He wasn't even on the field for that Hal Murray. But he did well in almost every other play for for that game. So, I mean, he's a grinder. He's a hard worker. So Elam is going to get the business end a lot from these receivers on this team. But he also may not have a single better opportunity to learn than on the team he's on now. Because everyone you hear from on this team loves to learn, loves to make everyone better, loves to push everybody. I mean, that's all you heard with Von Miller with the young D, the defensive ends and the defensive tackles, that he just he wants to pick their brain, he wants them to pick his brain. That's how they're all going to get better. And I think the culture that has been made by the Bills, and, it's, and it's, that's a bit of a zinger word, culture, but when you're winning, culture's great. When you're losing, culture sucks. But the winning culture is that everyone is, is now a team guy. Stephon Diggs leaving Minnesota most thought was just a me guy. He was upset that you know the Kevin Stefanski offense that he was in because Stefanski was the offensive coordinator at Minnesota at the time, you know was not targeting him enough. You know I I I need to go get mine. But the moment he comes to Buffalo, because he's an elite receiver, he is targeted. He does get his numbers and he has a great season and he's truly you know shown just how good he is. Stephon Diggs's tone though, which and his tone was never I need to get mine. It was always sort of the. The thought that was, you know, that's what everyone thought was going on. But since being in Buffalo, he's always been, no, 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 I'm fine not getting mine as long as we're winning, as long as, you know, the team is doing well. And it shows the Kansas City Chiefs game. He had what, three catches for like 10 yards. But Gabriel Davis is the one that goes off and he torches them. So there's clearly, look, the culture works. And it is building these guys up. So I'm fine that Kyrie Elam is getting torched early by Stefan Diggs because it's going to make him better. And also, the Bills wouldn't draft somebody if he couldn't take that sort of punishment, essentially. That, you know, the the beating constantly every day of practice of an elite receiver beating you. You've never played somebody this good, likely. And Cook and, and Elam, or I'm sorry, and Cook and Shakir are going to get the same things. Cook is going to have to deal with Devin Singletary constantly being ahead of him. But he offers that little bit more that will kind of push him into his own role. Same with Elam. He's a first-round talent. He's not somebody that's going to have to build himself up the entire time to try to get his spot like Dane Jackson did. And Khalil Shakir is walking into potentially a perfect situation in which Gabriel Davis' spot is wide open and he can grab it. It's only day two, but there are storylines already developing at Bill's training camp. We are going to take a quick quick timeout when we come back here on the nightcap talk a little bit about Kyler, uh, um, Kyler Murray's weird contract stipulation. I felt weird about this whole contract. I felt weird about the Murray situation as a whole when he signed it because everything felt toxic. From what Ian Rappaport showed us of his contract, it clearly seems to be the case. So we're going to take a quick quick timeout right here on the nightcap on WGR.
1: Is your reward. the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
2: Welcome back into the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for about another half hour or so. Before we move on to the Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson situations going on, we're going to take a quick call here. Anthony in Buffalo, you are on the Nightcap, sir. How are you doing tonight?
0: Good, good. I was just a quick question. Um, you know, with Trey White, uh, he, you know, his injury is pretty serious. Even when he's 100%, you still probably want to wait a little bit to make sure he's like 150%. Or, he, you know, if he gets hurt again, that could be a real, real problem. The Joe, Joe Hayden's out there, you know, I, I just want to know what's preventing this deal from being done. Is there something that maybe the fan doesn't know about? Maybe is there a, some injury issues or or, the, or maybe the numbers just don't? Just don't match up with what, what what you know uh what bean's trying to do, so I'll just listen to what you what you have to say about that. Thank you
2: thanks for calling in Anthony and that is getting connected with our fans brought to you by the law firm of Gilbert and O'Connell. They take your personal injury cases personally. I think with Joe Hayden and the bills potentially going after him i don't i truthfully I don't really know what's holding the bills back. I think a lot of it may actually be that they just trust Dane Jackson a ton they really do trust their draft picks and the guys they bring in as rookies, either undrafted or uh late round draft picks or really wherever. I do know uh Bills veterans a ton of them I think. I think Von Miller was one of them as well. Uh really were were pitching to get Joe Hayden here. I truthfully would not be against it and I do agree. I think even Leslie Frazier, uh Bills defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier said it today as well or yesterday that with with TreDavis White, they want to be safe with him. They don't want to rush him back that even if he is probably like 100% or 90% ready that they may take it just that little bit longer in the sense of, you know, why risk it, right? Why risk potentially even more damage to your all-pro cornerback who is also one of your biggest leaders on your team? I personally would not be against the Bills bringing in Joe Hayden at all. I think that'd be a very good decision. And even if he gets caught at the end of camp, who cares? It's not one of those that I think absolutely kills them. You could sign him to like a one-year deal I don't even know if he would take vet minimum. I think you would have to give him a little bit more. Joe Hayden, though, could also be kind of waiting, realizing that he maybe has a few offers on the table and sort of waiting for an, a starting job to open up. Because ultimately, I think even if Tredavious White is not as far along as it, it does seem to be that he is, it's probably only going to be about two, maybe three games. Hayden also likely will know, especially with the Bills, okay, well, I'm not starting over Tredavious White, and I'm likely not going to start over their first-round pick. That's its own kind of nest of, as much as you know, the first-round quarterback will always play, the first-round picks, as long as they're not true, utter busts, will also likely play above all else. So thank you, Anthony. Thank you for the call. Again, that is brought to you by the law firm of Galbrain O'Connell. They take your personally injury cases personally. On to the Kyler Murray situation, which I thought we would be kind of done with that, truthfully. I kind of thought that'd be it. He got his money. I don't think he's the greatest quarterback in the world. But look, like, I'm not I'm not gonna bash the Cardinals for, for you know paying him. I think a lot of their issues are more towards Cliff Kinsbury. I've had issues with him for years. So it is it you know, it is what it is. That's fine. But the weird clause he has in his contract did have me pause for a second. If you haven't seen it, Ian Rapport tweeted it out, I want to say a few hours ago now. But it was essentially Kyler Murray in his contract, and if he voids this, could cost himself millions, like hundreds of millions, has to independently, it's an independent study time, of four hours a day during game weeks. Or it was like four hours a week during game weeks. And it had me pause, because I think we've all heard this story. And if you've heard this story, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to you know, say it for everyone that doesn't. Jamarcus Russell, years ago drafted out at LSU by the then Oakland Raiders. It's now a notorious story about, you know, draft boss and kind of seeing it coming where I want to say during his rookie year, after he had missed a good bit of training camp, because at the time he could, him and his agent could negotiate a rookie deal and it could be a major, major deal and his was. Well, they were the coaching staff were concerned. Jamarcus Russell was not studying. So they gave him, I think a set of blank DVDs and told him to watch them. Obviously him not knowing that they're blank, that they were supposed to be, you know, plays coming up for, I think that preseason game or whatever, and to watch them. And then the next morning, let the coaches know what worked for him, what didn't work for him, what they should work on, and so on and so forth. And so they gave him the DVDs. He went home, watched them, you know, putting that in quotations. Came back the next day, told, I want to say his office coordinator at the time, I don't know who it was at the time, I'm blanking on his name, but gave him back the DVDs and said, no, nope, everything's going to work, no problem. So clearly him saying that showed he had never watched the tapes, he had never watched the DVDs, and clearly was not studying, and the coaching staff was right to think that Yeah, he is no, he's not doing his homework. That's what this feels like with the Kyler Murray situation. Now, to be fair, we have no idea if that's like the definitive situation, but I will say it looks awful on both ends on absolutely both ends. And with both of these situations, which Marcus Russell, this came after the Oakland Raiders had negotiated this massive rookie deal for Jamarcus Russell He's partially the reason why now there's a set rookie limit. Like these guys cannot go over this amount. He's partially that reason now. With Kyler Murray, he just got paid all this money and then just, you know, lodged in there in that contract, which apparently, from me and report, it was also a big deal to Murray and that, you know, he wanted it in there as well, which that feels uh, stupid and incorrect. And I feel like that's a lie. That he's not doing his homework either. And that they had paid all this money to him knowing potentially full well, he's not doing his homework at all. And then there's quotes out there that are now coming out because of the, of course they are that a few months ago, Kyler Murray was stated and basically saying he's not somebody that studies a ton, that he's very much a cerebral quarterback that kind of just as it happens, he does things. And then you look at the, you know, the Arizona Cardinals the last two years, where in the second half of seasons, they start to fall apart a bit. Makes you wonder. Because I don't think Cliff Cansbury is a good enough coach to coach Kyler Murray. I don't. I think he absolutely does limit him. There's also now potential that he plays into his worst vices by maybe not being hard enough on him. And so now you have a terrible investment. This looks awful. This investment looks like it's going to fail quickly. And that Murray... Definitely won't play off this contract in Arizona. That's at least what it looks like to me. That they're treating Kyler Murray like he's a 15-year-old. Now, to be fair, I read this and I kind of knew what was going on. I was a college athlete for a year. I went down to Edinburgh University down at Erie, Pennsylvania. And I was just a swimmer. I was not a football player. But as a freshman, as an 18-year-old coming in, there was mandatory study time that I did with a ton of other athletes in a quiet room away from the dorms. They made you actually truly walk most of the campus to get there, to study, to bring your work, and to do your work, to have good grades. But it's because we were all 18-year-olds. It was only freshmen in there or people with bad grades. So it was either a bunch of 18-year-olds or now at that point, if if you were past that freshman year, a bunch of people who clearly couldn't be trusted to do their, their homework on their own. I wasn't being paid millions of dollars to do this. I was just a college athlete. Kyler Murray's being paid millions upon millions of dollars, and the team trusts him so little to log on to his iPad or whatever it is, where they can track how long he's been on, that they've decided to put a clause in which would eliminate most of his guaranteed money. It's not even like, oh, he gets like three or four checks, and you know, if that's not it, you know, he's gonna get you know slap on the wrist a little bit, right? No. If he voids or if, if he doesn't follow this. He could void over $100 million of said contract. They don't trust him at all. At all. And they paid all of this money, this guaranteed money to do this. Now there's also a flip side to this. Is this just Arizona being petty and petulant because this kind of was dragged out and a little ugly leading up to this? That Murray and his agent... We're not necessarily the nicest. But to be fair, Arizona itself was not the nicest leading up to this. Rumors came out that, you know, he refused to go back into the playoff game. And that, you know, he's not a good leader. And they don't really like him. And there is worries. This whole situation has been ugly from the start. And now, you know, days after him getting this massive contract, Ian Rapoport in just one of the strangest tweets I've seen from him in quite a while, pitches this as a positive, as something that should be praised for both the Cardinals and Murray to do. And it just screams, we don't trust him, we think he's like a 15-year-old, but he's really talented, so we need to keep him on the roster. It really feels like this is Cliff Kinsbury and Steve Kime kind of like trying to save their jobs. Realizing that as talented as Murray is, he may not be the guy that will ever lead him to the promised land. And if anything, if anything goes wrong this year, which to start the year off, DeAndre Hopkins will not be there because he'll be suspended. It could go off the rails fast and they could be fired. Kime already has a checkered past as a GM. He's not the greatest in the world. Really, he's not even average. He's pretty bad. Cliff Kinsbury, I've made mention now a number of times, just on this show alone, but in past as well, I think he's a bad coach who gets by as an offensive guru who can play eight games a year. And if he has to play any more, his offense grows stale and uncreative. He can't motivate people past halfway points of seasons, and the team falters every single time. He did it in college at Texas Tech, and he's doing it now in the NFL in Arizona. So what, what is the ultimate outcome with all of this? Lamar Jackson, a quarterback we're going to talk about in you know, just a few minutes, because of some of the comments an anonymous NFL defense coordinator made, his contract's coming up. But his team clearly trusts him, I think, almost too much in the sense of they believe, like, well, he'll always be able to play like this, his body won't take a beating, and we'll be fine, rather than truly trying to help him out. Where Arizona, I think on the complete flip side, doesn't trust their quarterback at all. And again, I'm saying this from Buffalo, New York. Literally, you know, the entire country away from Phoenix, Arizona. I have no idea what's going on in the day-to-days of the Cardinals organization. Kyler Murray may be a great leader, and it's just, you know, Arizona doesn't like the way he goes about things. Because, as we're going to talk about with Lamar Jackson in a moment, that's a thing in the NFL. But he may be a great leader to his teammates. And that they're just you know, pumping this out there, hoping that it'll, it'll make Kyler become the leader that they, they, they want him to be. In the image that they want him to be in. But I don't know. Because Kyler Murray has never come off as that kind of guy. He's never come off as somebody that, not, not necessarily be a rah-rah guy, but just somebody that's always there 110% of the time. I don't think he'll go to baseball now. I don't. I think that, that's more than dead. And to be fair, I think once he played like year two and the NFL, I thought that that talk was dead. But it's more the fact that coming up to the draft, people didn't know if he would genuinely pick baseball or not. And he actively avoided commenting on it. And instead became more mysterious and, and made people more uncomfortable with the idea of, is he actually going to go play baseball, not football? And this essentially clause in his contracts showing that, dude, we need you to study even the bare minimum. Four hours for a game week? It's not just the bare minimum. Most players would get yelled at and reprimanded if they really and truly only studied four hours on their own time. Peyton Manning, just as an example, on the literally opposite end of the spectrum, some of his teammates were stunned he had a personal life because of how much he studied film. Where Kyler Murray, it sounds like, they're stunned when he does study film. It's, it's to the point where he's not allowed to have outside distractions in the background, TV, whatever. That's, what you, that's, that's how you treat an 18-year-old kid who had bad grades. That's not how you treat a 24, 25-year-old man who you just gave over $200 million in a contract. And over 100 of that guaranteed. Arizona and the Kyler Murray situation continues to just absolutely boggle my mind, and I do not understand it. We're going to take a quick time out when we come back, talk a little about the Lamar Jackson situation I've been hinting at a little bit, and why these comments really do just frustrate me. All that coming up here on the Nightcap on WGR. We
1: get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio.
2: Just want to take a quick, you know, minute or two to talk about the Lamar Jackson comments that I saw, or not not comments, but comments about him that I saw today. Saw from Warren Sharp on Twitter. He's the one that kind of brought you know attention to me. Um. So essentially, the quote I'm going to paraphrase it here. Just be real quick. Essentially, an anonymous current NFL defensive coordinator said that he doesn't care if Lamar Jackson wins 11 MVPs. He will always think of him as a number one player, number one kind of player, but not a number one kind of quarterback, and that's just the most uh, I can't be wrong ever statement I've ever heard. I know people like that. I have family members that are like that. If I can't be wrong, I can never admit I'm wrong. So I'm gonna just I'm gonna just go off so far into left field, and it's just I, I've made my bet. I, I I cannot come off that right if Lamar Jackson wins 11 MVPs in his career he's the greatest football player of all time he's the greatest quarterback of all time Peyton Manning has five that's the most ever he's considered the greatest regular season quarterback of all time it's okay that you were wrong that you thought Lamar Jackson should have been a wide receiver it's okay and it's fine that Lamar Jackson's not great every single game, and he's still getting better. But like Peyton Manning, Manning, in the early parts of his career, was an abysmal playoff quarterback, and his teams didn't always make the playoffs. The big story of Manning early in his career was the up-and-down rookie year, but a ton of touchdowns and a ton of picks, and then the immediate worst-to-first story, from them going to 3-13 and 13 to 13-3. Most people don't talk about the fact that he didn't make the playoffs the next year. That they went three, they went 13 and 3, lost in the first round, and did not make the playoffs the next year. And it was a bit of a seesaw for Manning. That's okay. These guys get better. They get more well rounded if their team believes in them, if their team actually helps them out. That's why I've always been saying, you know, the past you know two weeks that I've been on the show, I think Lamar Jackson should run out of Baltimore. Because they're clearly not helping him long term. But to hear comments like that, I'm just like, oh my gosh. What are you talking about? If he wins that many, he clearly is the number one quarterback. He's probably all-time. Just because you were wrong about him, it's fine. You're in a sport, you're in a profession, where being wrong is more often than not likely what's going to happen. It's if you get better, if you clearly understand your mistake. That, defense coordinator... I'm concerned about because clearly he makes a mistake and just brushes it off and blames somebody else and or says it wasn't a mistake. And it's just, you know, happy coincidence that happened or, you know, just it happened right. Just in a different way. That's going to do it here on the nightcap. I'll be back here tomorrow. I'll be helping Mike Shope and the bulldog tomorrow as well at training camp, Howard and Jeremy. And of course the extra point show. This has been the nightcap